Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. today with Sage Brennan, who's the CEO and founder of China Luxury Advisors. Uh, actually, it's been a while since we last caught up, uh, yeah. Sage, isn't it? I think, w- w- when was it? It was almost been like- years. I don't remember the last time. It was in Hong Kong, I know, and I don't know when you lived there, but one of those windows. I, I definitely saw you. I used to see you in Shanghai, yep. I remember, because yep. uh, our former colleague, Paul Wade, who I worked with almost 15 years ago, yeah, when we were doing ago. Jupiter research together in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, he was your business partner, right? That's right. We worked together for a few years in, in Shanghai, and... Uh, uh, I was there for about uh, you know seven years or six or seven years in Shanghai, and uh, since I've been back in the U.S., I've been back here now for five years or so. And of course, we're here in uh, Palos Verdes, uh, yes. Terrano, which which is about as far from Shanghai as I can possibly <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm sure if you stared out across the Pacific, we might see it right, in the right. far distance. But it's uh, it actually reminds me of being in Australia in some weird. It is, uh, yeah. It's a weird little alternate universe here, even in you, Southern did California. Did you say your kids said it's like being at the end of California? They always call it the end of California. Yeah. <laughs> can, when are we going to the end of California? Which is a funny concept because we're. I mean, it is sort of out there right it's the next step is Catalina Island which is 30 miles <laughs> offshore um, but it's a beautiful place it's fun to take a break out here and uh, get away from LA which is kind of a funny concept I, when I checked into LA one of the things I noticed I was staying in Beverly Hills was the entire hotel was actually full of well-heeled mm. although I would say quite loud Chinese mainland tourists <laughs> and now I understand that this is probably largely your doing <laughs> we may have something to do with that. Yeah, we've worked with a lot of tourism folks here in LA, which is really ground zero for tourism worldwide almost um, from China. Um, seen growth here. I think last year there was over 800,000 visits from China. Wow. Um, 1.1 billion in spending, I think, just from tourism alone. Massive investment here in LA from China, obviously, whether that's in you know things like real estate and hotels which you know that hotel that you're in might be owned by Chinese now there's a lot of them in China in uh, in in Los Angeles Uh, and all the new developments really are somehow funded you know by by China uh, or Chinese companies Um, you know the Wanda group is now building a big new hotel and a lot of really exciting new development here and pretty much most of that is now from Chinese money or, or Chinese influence so do these Chinese consumers that are coming to the States, do, do they have some unifying characteristics or are we seeing quite a wide range from across the spectrum? Well, I mean, I, th- I think the short answer is it's still a pretty slim segment, right? right? Uh, you were talking fairly affluent folks. Um, only you know, somewhere between 5 and 8% of Chinese even have passports, right? And most of those are used to go to Thailand or to go to... Hong Kong, right, or, or somewhere close by, like Korea, for shopping trips, that kind of thing. So this is so still the first wave. It's still a tiny little tip of a, t- of a very, very big iceberg, right, um, in terms of visitation. And then in terms of spending, we're seeing definitely, uh, you know, on average, it's something like 10 times what Japanese spend here in the U.S., which is dramatic based on, you know, J- Japanese already being the highest spenders here in Los Angeles. Um, we have a lot of visitors from Australia, for example, here. I think that's the second largest now because Chinese just overtook it, right? But I mean, China visitors are going to overtake Mexican visitors in Los Angeles in the next year or two, which is just astounding, 
right? Because Mexico is just a few miles away, right? Uh, so we're seeing a huge influx, and uh, my sort of role in the you know, sort of immediate past and future has been really trying to help people get ready for that. Right. Whether they're seeing it or not, whether it's really a clear and present danger or something that they're looking, you know, to uh, you know optimize for in this in the future. How well prepared do you think American brands, retailers, destinations are for this? This mm. influx, which is already happening. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I, I, I am sort of an unofficial, I guess, like stalker of Chinese tourists, right? And I just, <laughs> it's what I do. It might be awkward, but I do. I follow people around just because I'm curious. And it's in everyone's interest that I figure out what the heck's going on with this, right? So I'll follow people down the street in Rodeo Drive like I did today or through, uh, you know, New York City on Fifth Avenue. But then also, you know, we're getting barbecue in a little place, which I can't remember the name of now, in, sorry, in, uh, in um, St. Louis, Missouri, right. last week. And a, a group of three Chinese folks came up right behind me in line, and they were all in Danping. Uh, getting their, their translation of the of the this little barbecue place, and getting a live translation of, of their menu, and ordering from Danping, not ordering through the through the website, but actually using that to order with the clerk at the at the de- at the counter. And how had they discovered this? How had they discovered this barbecue restaurant? Through Danping, right? right? This is this is where people are going, and that's my point. Is it's kind of like uh, how prepared are people? Uh, in the U.S. isn't the question. It's like, does it even matter sometimes, right? There's these little businesses all over the U.S., whether that's a big shopping center operator that owns it or just a tiny little retailer, mom and shop, pop, mom and pop shop, uh, and they're seeing visitation. Right. And they may not even know it. So it's, actually, it's actually on the affluent mainlander tour without them even realizing. They have no idea. And, they, and there's a whole conversation going on. Uh, around a given brand or an experience or a city or an attraction like a you know a Disneyland or whatever uh, that they don't even know about. And so I was joking with WeChat is so interesting. Uh, in particular, WeChat being the you know 700 million people on this thing, it's massive, all Chinese basically, right? Um, so it's ubiquitous in China, especially among the more affluent folks who are here. And 100% of those people are on WeChat while walking through a location. No matter where that is in the U.S., they're just on it all day. It's like, you know, 24 hours a day, they're on WeChat. The only element of that conversation that's not there is the brand itself. Hmm. And so we're trying to help with that um, to the extent it's necessary. Sometimes, to my point is, you know, sometimes it just not even matter whether someone's ready or not. Because, you know, there's just so much interest in seeing new things. Uh, we were in Page, Arizona last week, which is where Antelope Canyon is. It's the big Glen Canyon Dam, and Antelope Canyon is this beautiful um, uh, cavern down under the surface, which is invisible, basically. Uh, you go down on the surface and you look up, and there's this beautiful National Geographic cover shots, right, just everywhere you look. Um, and almost the entire tour from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. was Chinese. <laughs> and it's like thousands of people yeah. uh, in this little town. We were in the, you know, La Quinta Inn in, in Page, Arizona. It's packed with Chinese visitors. When you were stalking Chinese tourists in Rodeo Drive, <laughs> what was your sense of what America looks like through their eyes? It's really interesting. And where's yeah. sort of the cultural slippages between, you know, what brands intend to say and what they're, mm. what, how they're actually processed? How they actually are yeah. landing, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's a huge question. You know, you know, I have a research background and we've been studying, that's kind of how I got into this advisory business was through just trying to find answers to some of those questions. Um, so we do tons of surveys and we talk to people all the time. Um, and I think it is really interesting how you see differences in brand presentation, 
somewhat based on what the presentation is in China, in mainland China, right? right? So if you have a luxury brand, um, and the, the famous one that people talk about is Coach, for example, right? Which is, uh, you know, sort of a, an affordable luxury brand, if you will, in, in the U.S., or always yeah. has been. Um, they rapidly went up the chain in China. They established themselves as a much higher price, higher value, higher uh, sort of uh, luxury quotient. So it's a guess here. When they went there. in. Right. That's kind of what they, 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 they basically seized that opportunity. <laughs> right. Um, so then when you see uh, customers in, you know, Madison Avenue shop, it is very much merchandised, if you will, the visual merchandising, it looks like the Chinese stores. Right. Whereas if you go to a coach in, um, you know, Detroit, Michigan, it won't look that way. So there's a case where a brand is really kind of slicing and dicing segments and, and not only, you know, changing the brand to fit China, but then bringing some of that back to the U.S., uh, <laughs> right, yeah. which is fascinating. And, 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 you know, so when I'm stalking people, those kind of models are in the back of my mind trying to figure out how a Chinese consumer, if this is their first trip or their second trip or their third trip or their 20th trip, how are those perceptions changing as they go through that process and how can we help them? learn more before they get here and while they're here again during the process of shopping they're on WeChat for example so they should be getting information while they're doing that um, that helps with those those brand presentations I definitely want to talk more about WeChat but I, I would like yeah. to stay a little bit on this kind of cultural differences yeah. what are some of the other cultural differences you've observed in your research looking at this this consumer segment yeah um, I mean there's so much <laughs> that's one <laughs> thing that's like where to start um, I, I think a lot of the, the brand exposure, for example, on the cultural side is fairly limited in China still. Hmm. Um, when you are, are seeing luxury brands, for example, and we sort of, I mean, we call ourselves China Luxury Advisors, and it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? Because it's important to reach out and, and help luxury brands understand the consumer um, as they're going through this journey. But then it's also a huge, wide variety of things that Chinese consumers are really interested in. Hmm. Not, they're not just walking wallets. Right, so we work with uh, you know the Getty Center here in Los Angeles, um, which is uh, hosting this summer. They're putting on a, on a, um, a really interesting model of the Dunhuang Cave uh, complex out in, in in Western China. And watching folks go through that exhibition has been interesting because they're not seeing that in China so much, right? And then they're coming to an American museum to learn about China to learn about this really really niche little element of Chinese culture that's so important for their history and they've heard about, but they've probably never been there, right? And that's kind of fascinating to see that change in perception. Uh, and again, that's not even brand or anything like that. That's, that's, just that's like going mix. to a, like a, a Civil War, American Civil War <laughs> exhibition in like, you know, in a tier three city. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Or yeah, in, in like, yeah, but you just in Chongqing. You, right. But you couldn't imagine American tourists doing that. You would never imagine that, and nor would it ever make sense to ever construct something like that. No. Whereas for Unless for it was Chinese, a parody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, some of the crazy... Um, uh, what are they like amusement parks that you get in China, right? Like the the wild. There's some really weird amusement parks in like China. What? Like the like the the models of of um, the Egyptian pyramids and things like that that you get all over China that are like you know scale models that some guy built over the course of 15 years or something. I always um, wonder and how they're much, fascinating. I always wonder how much is apocryphal. So you because I you know I hear these <laughs> stories of these residential developments where they've reconstructed an entire German right, town. Right, like Thames Town in yeah. Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things actually exist. They exist. Well, part of that is just the, the, the branding of those places. Um, they, they lack a natural way to brand these things. Right. right. There's no 
there's no basis for that. It's, if you want to do something like uh, you know Shintendi with like the the old style architecture and things like that, it only goes so far. Like yeah. you can only do that so many times before they have to bring in something else that's a little bit more attractive and interesting. And so they go to the rest of the world, but, right? But I'm amazed sometimes the dedication it's, which they do this. Oh, it's I mean, amazing. I, I remember reading yeah. a story about some, I think it was, it was, it was some European village, and they'd, they'd turned up one day and they were measuring everything. And then they <laughs> right, actually right. reconstructed it down to the last yeah, brick. And yeah. they, the, the, the town wanted to sue for copyright right. infringement because <laughs> it effectively created a simulcro of the entire village. There's a town in, in uh, Germany where I, I think it, where Marx is from, I, I believe, the, his original birthplace, I think. Or something. Oh, right. And um, it's a huge tourism destination for Chinese. But there's an example of like you know this this weird sort of cultural approbation or whatever you call it is that the word appropriation where you're you're taking a huge group of people coming to Germany and this becomes a major tourism destination for them, and no one else in the world's ever heard of it basically, right? Wow. <laughs> um, it, whereas I think, whereas I think. You know, when you look at what we're doing in the U.S. and Europe to reach out specifically to Chinese, and this Donghuang Cave exhibition, they've been working on for 30 years uh, on this model and, and the relationship with the Chinese Museum and all these things. But now it's sort of fitting into this niche where Chinese really want to learn more about the world, right? Hmm. When you talk about the cultural differences, um, you know, they recognize the cultural differences and they're, they're sort of like holding them up on a pedestal because it's so interesting for them. And they've been sort of, you know, it's been difficult to travel from China until the last 10 years. So it's this whole new opening. It's really exciting era. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I don't feel like I'm just a slave to the retailers and the boring commercialism crap, because it's actually really interesting what we're doing. You know, we're watching people get out for the first time. 70,000 70, new, uh, 70,000 people in China take their first international trip every day. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, mm. right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about WeChat. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really feels like in the last 18 months that it's gained momentum and mm. a kind of a, an almost envious now uh, attention being paid on it. Because in a sense, I think a lot of uh, Western technology companies are, are quite jealous of the level of integration mm. around the digital experience that, that you can find now in China. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about really where WeChat is today and, mm-hmm. and, and I guess the use case that of how people, uh, you know, have it as part of their lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it is. It's like an operating system for your life. That's the thing. It's not really a platform. It's not, uh, you know, a website. It's none of these things. It's not even an app, right? It doesn't even feel like that when right. you're using it as, an, as a native Chinese speaker and, and a devoted user. It literally becomes part of everything. It's like your finger. It, it's really like, you know, not having it is... is is crucial if that if it goes away, um, which is you know one of the reasons why we consult with people on having Wi-Fi here in the U.S. when people right. are traveling, right? But I mean it's it's such an incredible environment, um, and it, you know just even just from my little sort of you know segment of use cases, just in travel, right? Uh, you see this incredible diversity of content on the China side, and almost zero outside of China in terms hmm. of content that's available natively through WeChat, right? Official accounts outside of China is some tiny, tiny number. Uh, official accounts in China is like 200 million or something crazy like that now. So, right? so in terms of the, the travel experience, how would someone use WeChat as yeah. part of the researching and, and, right. and actually the booking and the, 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 the traveling experience? Yeah, well, it's, it, I mean, it is, again, your operating system for your life. So when you're making plans to travel, 
uh, to the U.S., to Europe, or wherever you're going, Australia, uh, you're you know constructing that whole arc of of what the trip's going to look like on WeChat with your friends while you're on the subway, going to school, going to work. You're having these conversations over the course of a period of time, and you're bringing in resources from other platforms directly through WeChat, whether that's Dianping or uh, travel agencies or... Um, you're searching for information? Or everything happens within WeChat. Everything in your life, you have to understand, happens within WeChat. You're rarely going out to you know, Chrome or Safari on your phone. You're doing everything right through WeChat, and you're looking for influencers who might be doing a trip to Los Angeles, right? right. Uh, famous people or, or, you know, whoever, people you respect, right? Or friends of yours who um, have gone recently, or friends who are students in Los Angeles or New York or, or Sydney or wherever they are. In the way someone would follow and an Instagram, that, like exactly, an Instagram follower. except it's interactive. All that's getting integrated directly into your conversation while you're planning a trip with your parents, with your friend, with your schoolmates, wherever, whatever it is, or a business trip, then you're looking for, you know, where do I go for two days outside of Los Angeles, right? That becomes this whole universe of discussion. It's all happening within WeChat, all of it. How, how do you save, what's the process of saving that information? Is it through liking or, like, what's the mechanism? Well, it's sharing, ultimately, you know, so you can share, like, for example, I was in Antelope Canyon, I was in Page, Arizona, those kinds of places. If those places would have uh, a WeChat official site, then you could share that business card, that little card, name card, with someone, right? right. Directly. So that would get them as a follower directly to that destination, all the information they need. It's as if it's like an entire web environment piped right through the WeChat environment. And they can then reach out and ask questions. Right. So that, that almost becomes like a point in their itinerary. Exactly. It's right. and, and it becomes it, it also like not insignificantly, it becomes literally like a list, uh, a name on their contact list. Right. So it becomes a part of their whole social system, whether they're going to a, you know a hospital for a medical check or going to you know um, Warner Brothers studio tours here in Los Angeles for a studio tour. Those elements become a part of their not only a part of their itinerary. Those are contacts and their contact list. So in the case of this barbecue joint that we're talking about, yeah, yeah. was there kind of a a default card that had been created for that that, that no, barbecue joint didn't even know about. No, well, there's there's entries on Dianping, for example. Right, right, and and on other sites too, probably other yeah. travel sites. They have the equivalent of TripAdvisor, you know, things like that. And there's actually TripAdvisor China as well, which does quite well. But those are basically, um, you know, like a Yelp listing. Dianping's ultimately kind of like a Yelp. Um, kind of like a Yelp Instagram mashup sort of thing, mm. right? It's a little more social than Yelp. Um, so there's lots of information out there. A lot of that gets, again, you're probably reading that from a link from your friend directly through WeChat. Right. Because you can, you know, you can, you can bring anything that's HTML5 can get into WeChat. Any website can be built for WeChat. Um, so it, it's, 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 there's a lot being, my frustration with the whole thing as a China background you know, trying to hand, if you want to call it, is just that there's such a huge gap between what should be happening and what's act, what we're actually seeing. And what else are people doing? Are they actually booking their trips? Are there yep. are transactional elements taking sure, place? Sure, absolutely. Well? If you're, if you're, uh, that's sort of what I was talking about is sort of the beginning of the journey of planning a trip, right. right? So even just in this travel area, you have this whole discussion which involves the brands that you're talking about visiting. They become a part of the conversation sometimes, right? Uh, you know, if, like I was talking about the hospital. If you want to go make a visit to that hospital, you follow them on WeChat. You can then have a Q&A with them about whatever condition you might have and book a trip, book, book a, 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 you know, a, a treatment or, or come to get an you know, IVF treatment or something like that. And then uh, once that you, you get that plan, then you can start to actually transact. 
you can buy your tickets. You can huh. you know make your train reservations. You can do whatever it happens to be, uh, and you can you know create an entire to-do list almost you know within your travel you can book rental cars you can do all that stuff directly through each where's the funding coming from this do people actually have is this through the through the we bank or is it someone's linked credit card yeah oh so wechat uh functionally you mean functionally yeah. it's actually linked to bank accounts directly right. um and there's all kinds of online payment platforms that are much more active than ours in the west uh whether that's alipay or or wechat pay which is actually basically 10 pay bolted onto wechat um, well, they've they even got wealth management. And wealth management, they have, uh, you know, there's uh, mutual funds and things like that. I mean, it's a huge environment. Like I said, 700 million people on this thing. So it's not like it's just an upstart, you know. I mean, it's only three years old or something, but it's just taken over. Not only taken over the internet in China, it's taken over life in China. Like, wow. you don't actually exchange name cards anymore with people, physical, you know, little name card business cards. You actually just, you know, bump your phones or swipe or whatever to, to connect with each other, the QR code. So. I heard that one of the reasons actually why Uber lost out uh, mm. was actually because it wasn't well integrated with WeChat versus Didi. Yeah, and I think that's probably maybe an exaggeration, a little bit. And I know that's the story because they did get basically excommunicated from WeChat, essentially, <laughs> right? Which, I mean, in China, you know, the internet Which is... Which they may uh, not have actually appreciated how serious an issue that was. Well, I'm sure they appreciated it very much. <laughs> they probably, whatever their PR team was saying, they definitely knew what, uh, uh, you know, a, a crushing blow that... But the thing is, you know, China's basically organized in three big tree trunks, right? With the Tencent, Baidu, um, and Alibaba. So as, as those three platforms are battling... Anyone who's a foreign, so to speak, entrant into that market is going to be battling with them too. Uh, and if they don't throw each other under the bus, then they'll throw you under the bus, or vice versa, or whatever. Um, so I, you know, it, it, I was never of the opinion that Uber is going to do well in China. That they have a great brand and they can probably use that. Didi can use that in China, which will be great. But you know, I know some of the taxi companies and the folks who used to try to do like the headset, just uh, the. You know the headrest back displays and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It takes like two years to get a deal just to put those things in there, with you know arguable profitability, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, taxi companies in the U.S. have been uh, strikingly uninnovative, right? Mm. And I think China's no different. So, yeah. But WeChat is crucial. I mean, you know, because Didi, all those guys, they go right through WeChat. You, you don't even think about logistics anymore. It's just, you know, it's not like you have to open up an Uber app and make a reservation and then, you know, argue with your Uber driver over where you are and where they should pick you up or whatever. There's none of that. It all goes right through WeChat because they have location-based functionality within WeChat. And, and this is what I think, probably out of jealousy, that Facebook Messenger are now trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, to, to build stuff straight through chat. Bolting but, things on, yeah. But, but and I think bots, the whole, the whole argument around bots, right, which is an important element of all this too where you have things that are operating within the WeChat app within the environment that are additive to that experience that aren't necessarily really part of WeChat sometimes right, right? Um, Facebook's probably far from integrating you know that type of technology just because their scale is is, is such as it is it's also more of a media platform was WeChat so is so when brands increasingly using like chatbots rather than human beings as, yeah as, definitely as, as, as their yeah, interfaces yeah. and banks you know um, a lot of them are using that kind of thing all the banks are on WeChat themselves so you can actually integrate with your banking environment your banking hmm. uh, system through WeChat which is of course where you want to do it I mean everything you want as much as possible of your life to go through WeChat because that's where everything else is. Which so. brand do you think in banking, travel, retail has had has been the most sophisticated 
with the way they've integrated into the WeChat experience? Well, I mean, obviously all the Chinese brands are a million miles ahead of anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Think. but what, what are um, they doing that's so and, impressive? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's living it, right? So everyone who's creating the integrations for WeChat is also addicted to WeChat, right? <laughs> Whereas when you have the US and you know, you're trying to find someone to build a WeChat, um, you know, almost like a mini website for you, right? They have to understand the ins and outs of that platform, how it's being used, how are people gonna communicate with it, what are the features of WeChat that they might want to use within that environment with, with whatever brand it is, whether that's a, you know, a, an attraction or a hotel or a hospital, whatever. Um, different features will apply. Are they going to do payment? There's all kinds of things. And also then, uh, one of our challenges here in the U.S. is a lot of those features aren't available yet outside of China. Right. right? So payment is tricky. Yeah. There's a couple gateways you can use, things like that. Um, that makes it, you know, a hundred times harder to build for native Chinese users, for example, who are used to just being able to do everything on WeChat, right? So I'm kind of in this middle zone now where we're hacking to try to get around a lot of these challenges. Uh, and, you know, WeChat, you know, to their credit probably, is not necessarily making it easier because they have enough problems in China just dealing with all the demand that they have. It's crazy. Part of this reminds me of um, Entity Docomo and iMode. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, in Japan, the the sort of iMode, you could do everything. Mm. and. They, yeah. had, they had integrated music downloads. I mean, the, the stuff that we saw on the <laughs> it iPhone. It was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing. I, I mean, yeah. And the, the iPhone, in, in, in a great sense, uh, copied a lot oh, yeah, you know, from Entity Docomo. Yeah. But, of course, when they tried to bring that anywhere else in the world, it totally failed. Yeah. Well, that, we were talking about this earlier, but I think that's key, is that not only is the platform, WeChat, uh, just incredibly function-rich, and it's integrated in a way that's just so user-friendly, even if it's not user-friendly, it just becomes that way. It becomes intuitive for everyone who's in the environment. It, to the extent that it's, 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 you know, people who aren't in the environment are like different species, yeah. <laughs> right? It really does look like, you know, you're completely outside the environment. Uh, but then also, it, it, it has hit at a, at a time, I was joking earlier, where, you know, people have always in China wanted to find a digital reason to be on their phone 23 hours a day. <laughs> They've really been aching for that. Because, you know, and you, this has finally given them a right, reason. You're right, because I mean, when we were hanging out almost 10 years ago, you, you saw the elements of this with digital addiction, people playing video games, yeah, you know, yeah. World of Warcraft for like days on end. Right, right. Uh, so, so there was kind of early signs that the digital life in China was going to be different to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. QQ, of course. I mean, it reflects the culture partly, I think. You know, I mean, it, 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 where, where does it come from, though? Not do, necessarily. Do you think it's that they, yeah. that they had a, their early experience of the digital world took place in the context of no television? Oh, like, that's true. You know, a, there was no competition for digital. There was no competition for media, right? Right, right. There, there weren't any billboards in China, right? Yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of... That's a good point. I mean, you know, we've seen that the Chinese consumer has been undersubscribed from a branding perspective since the beginning, right? Yeah. If you look at the number of ads that they've seen in a given day, it's always been like a tenth of what the average global you know, visual well, user was, I mean, right? People, Just ads in general. If people, um, they, they were doing some test campaigns on WeChat for brands, and the people that didn't get the ad actually complained and were demanding to get the ad. <laughs> right, right. So, <laughs> yes, that's totally true. Well, and people feel like they're left out because it's not just about, um, it's one thing that's difficult to explain to brands. It's not just about brands. Brands are part of their life, 
right? Yeah. Uh, or experiences and, and the, the concept of traveling to, you know, to Hong Kong or to the US or to Europe or to, you know, to Paris becomes a part of their life and not just an, an excursion, not just mm. an opportunity, not even just a, you know, a great bonding experience with the parents. It's really like a very important part of everything that's going on. And to a huge extent, WeChat's driving all of that. So all the value that people are getting out of travel is expressed through WeChat. You know, it's not just taking pictures. Let's talk a little bit about bots because uh, mm. because of Slack and some other things now, the, the West has discovered chatbots. Right, right. Uh, but Microsoft were experimenting for this for some time with things like Show Ice and, mm, and some of these right. other quite powerful AI-driven yeah, sure. uh, services. In what ways are bots evolving in a different in a different in the kind of the Chinese ecosystem? Like, what are you seeing there now? Well, it just I think the thing that's blowing my mind is the exponential geometric expansion of it on the China side and just the the opportunity to basically do anything via these platforms. They're essentially platforms within platforms, right? And I, I think um, whether that it, it starts with things like security and identity and all that, but then it becomes uh, part of every single transaction you're making on, every, on WeChat. Uh, in many cases, right. not just in a banking environment or whatever. But if you're planning a trip, just to bring it back to my world, um, every you know, uh, not every Q and A, every conversation with your friends will also bring in a bot, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> There's an element there that's actually the system within your conversation. Do people interact with it like as human being, or is there a sense of? That the bot is, is kind of a short code programming way of getting information. I think people don't even think about it. It just becomes so, it, it's not, there's no nuance there. It's just part of your experience, right? right? So it's not like I wonder if this is a person or not. No one gives a crap, right? It's like it's a part of my life now uh, and it is 100% additive to my experience. There's no negative to it, right? Mm. People don't see the, the Borg invading their yeah. life or whatever, right? Because or, or, it, or some like clumsy IVR system. Like, or the stupid things that are like repeating dumb questions over and over again and, you know, not getting the right answers and please press five to, you know, <laughs> like forget pressing five. Like we've moved past that, right? But it is just you get back to your point about media in general where people have skipped over all these old media um, the the old media I, I guess sort of rubric, right? Where you're missing one-way media altogether. Mm. Everything is two-way. You're not watching TV. Most kids who are post-80s in China never really watch TV because TV is all sort of sucked in China, right? Like they watch those Korean the, dramas those and ten-hour game and like, shows like on oh, one-hour crazy <laughs> stuff shift. that they have. And yeah, I mean they're watching it, but it's totally background noise, yeah. right? It's nothing that they're interested in. They're not getting any fashion cues. They're not getting any, you know, cultural, uh, you know, trends or anything like that from TV. They're just not. They'll, they'll get things from Korean dramas from. Uh, some of the Japanese media that comes in, and, and there, there are some things, right? But they have moved so far past that so quickly that the idea that they're going to be, you know, uh, there's going to be any aversion to bots in their life, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Because they've just, they've completely conquered any of that. <laughs> well, Sage, it's been great seeing you again after all these yeah, years. And thank great. you for being on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Good it's to fun. see you. Thanks, yeah. man. All right. <laughs> You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.